Also, real quick. Mm-hmm. So, Doctor History Scholar lives in the building that the recording dungeon is in, right? <laughs> <laughs> So technically, it is actually your dungeon <laughs> more than no, anyone no, no. else's. It's, it's the the rental companies. Uh, it's a collective dungeon. <laughs> you you can dungeon. rent the yes. dungeon. Yes. Next <laughs> recording session, I'm bringing a black light. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like it's never been brighter in here. I can see everything. It's great. We're we're, we're talking about things that people have no idea what we're talking about because they can't see. That's <laughs> true. That, that's, yeah. But I think they can get an impression. Let's do more visual jokes on the podcast. <laughs> yes, we, should. we should. We'll do some physical comedy. Yeah. Okay. That blacklight joke was not a visual joke. It was a cum joke. <laughs> I'm a little upset. But Stuff I will point out. Things. I will point out one thing: is that there is a fire alarm in here. But it seems like there is some sort of creature, insect in nature, growing inside of it. <laughs> so I think this is where I'm going to burn it down. <laughs> like, there will be a fire in the building and we'll be like, oh, oh, oh Napoleon had a what, tiny day. They got an infestation in the fire. I, yeah, because we every other fire alarm will go off because we have our dumb fucking podcast headphones on. <laughs> and we're talking about our dumb bullshit. It'll be like, oh, you know, fucking Winston Churchill's foreskin, blah, blah, blah. Hey, do you smell smoke? Why won't the doors open? Oh, the handles are hot. Ah! And that'll be how we end. That'll be the end of us. Hey, but at least we'll be immortalized. Doing what we love. No, because I, What about the cloud? The cloud? Yeah. Well, one, the pod track is not attached <laughs> to the cloud. And two, even if I survive and you guys don't, what are the odds that I'm going to be a burn victim and a decent producer at the same time? <laughs> like I mean, I'm not even good at producing now, and I have zero burns. <laughs> you take that back. I'm sure you have some burns somewhere. That's true. I might have a burn or two. You're listening to Laughing Historically with Adam Latz, Adam Cooney, and Dr. History Scholar. Welcome to Laughing Historically. I'm your host, Adam Lax, and on the ones and twos, we got... Adam Kudin. And we got Dr. History, Sage Scholar, Moral Protector... Michael Pants. Prince of Property. Yeah. And we got any new names? D- Duchess of Decency. <laughs> Duchess. <laughs> it's yeah. 2023. Yeah, yeah true, true. The, he, can, uh, he can be whatever Baron of non-binary. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we actually can't say that to him because he's not that at all, and that'd be pretty uncool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can't really do that. But, Baron well, actually, Butch. though, it's interesting because we've already decided he's an immortal figure that moves through time space yes. like a like a ghost through walls. Um, <laughs> he's kind of all of the genders, right? He, he if that's is. true. Yeah, you're all every, of the, You're every gender that's he, ever existed in history. He's everything we've ever wanted. Um, I, still, I do still think that's maybe a little flippant. Well, but okay. But at the same token, I like the idea of 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 trying to uh, be more inclusive. Ah, uh, fair right. enough. So yeah. we're going to include everyone within the essence of your being. <laughs> okay. What's yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's me. You know yeah. what? Well, uh, I may I may have been reading uh, uh, some some Taoist literature or something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where my head's at. <laughs> You're feeling very new wave, mm-hmm. new age. All right, we then now we got uh, this day in history. So this day uh, is October 9th, and uh, we actually recorded a, another podcast on this very date a year ago. A year ago, which mm-hmm. was episode no, three. What? No. Oh yes. yeah, because we come out with twelve episodes. Yeah. So it must have been episode one because we're always <laughs> on schedule and we do everything yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> it's it's our episode on the fourth crusade, uh, and I know this because when I went to go look you up, really got to stop giving no, away no, time because, lines. No, no, because <laughs> it was funny when I was. Finding today's dates, at the first one I found was that Charlemagne and Carloman were count, crowned king of the Franks. And I remember you guys asking me, wait a minute, crowned king of the Franks? And and we had a whole big joke about that. So I had to go the find Franks. I had yeah. to go find new uh new things. So the we first a, so what, we, wait, what wait. did you not was, miss last time? Is really what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, basically. So well, a lot of things happen every day, right? Yes. Oh, God. And I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping like, this like, bit doesn't like it. It's like, well, we did it 365 times, so we're done. No, <laughs> no, no, no. So the thing is, is October 9th in particular, if you go to the Wikipedia page yeah. for that day, it's so freaking long. It's really? a really, there's so much stuff that happened. So, so what happened? On 1825, the Restauration arrived in New York from Norway. This is the first organized immigration from Norway to the United States, and part of the reason why today is also Leif Erikson Day. 
Relief Wait, Erickson Day. The what arrived? Uh, it's it's supposed to be restoration, but it's in but it's being spelled in Norwegian. Okay. Is that your uh, Norwegian accent? No, I don't really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you just call? I was like, <laughs> it sounded kind of like Italian or Spanish. The way uh, you, rest. Well, re- you, it's, no, it, it's, you've heard of the great Italian-Spanish migration to Norway of 1497. <laughs> yeah. Right, Dr. History Scholar? Of course. It's written in stone. It's written in stone. So that, that was in 1825. In 1859, Alfred Dreyfus was born. Uh, he will become mm. an officer in the French army. And in the 1890s, it was discovered that someone in the army was feeding information to the Germans. Dreyfus, who is Jewish and from the German-annexed Alsace region, will be scapegoated by the French army even when they know he is innocent. Aww. It's pu- never happened. Never happened. Never happened. <laughs> a public campaign to exonerate him will eventually succeed. Now that's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> that was a first. <laughs> They're like the French people standing up for a Jewish person. There should be a fucking day for this. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, he, it should be a holiday. <laughs> he, uh, he was uh, released from prison. He fights in World War One. Uh, and retired as for the French for the French uh, and fights well. Uh, he he survives World War One. He retires as a lieutenant colonel and he dies in 1935. Mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. of his children survive the Holocaust, and the but the French far right still believes him to be a traitor. Like if you go to at, this day, to this day, the French far right thinks that Alfred Dreyfus was indeed a German spy. <laughs> oh my God. Like uh, Marine Le Pen, the the woman who runs yeah. their far right party, mm-hmm. her father. Uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen, who definitely didn't torture Algerians in the mm-hmm. 50s, um, definitely like went to his deathbed thinking that Alfred Dreyfus was indeed a, a, a German spy. Um, yeah, they, Marie, it's Marine Le Pen. I that's 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 her name. Yeah, yeah. Marine. I, you know, have you ever heard anyone be like, "Oh, we should just get all the world leaders in a room and have them all like." fucking do ecstasy and acid together, and then we'll have world peace or whatever." No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I mean, they don't get to press any buttons while they're in there. You know, what I mean? <laughs> like, like they are cut off. Anyway, I feel like th- there is something to be said about like, oh, you know, you could maybe move public, like move history by like mm-hmm. having some sort of like uh, a spiritual experience yeah, for someone. I party. think all we have to do mm-hmm. is sneak into France, mm-hmm. into Marine Le Pen's house. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, just, I'm liking this yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, switch all of her panties with the vibrating kind. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just wait for a real busy day when she just switches them. And then she'll be on her way someplace. And you just hit that fucking button. And by the end of that car ride, she'll come out and be like... <laughs> <laughs> wait. Like, as a, the last French woman to have an orgasm in history, <laughs> I have decided that I am not right-wing anymore, and we should all live in socialist collectives where we care for one of each other. Mutual aid! Viva la mutual aid! And then just... So are, are you saying that far-right extremism is just a result of sexual Pent-up sexual aggression? One hundred. One hundred percent. So in, in 1934... <laughs> In 1934, a Croatian ultra-nationalist assassinated King Alexander I of Yugoslavia and the French foreign minister Louis Barthou in Marseille. Uh, Alexander and Barthou were in discussions to formalize what was called the Little Entente, an anti-German alliance between France, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, and Romania. Uh, The failure to formalize that does mean that it makes it easier for the Nazis to expand in Central and Eastern Europe. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, so the Nazis are France's fault. Cool. Moving on. <laughs> I mean, the Treaty of Versailles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so I blame it on God. <laughs> so a couple of questions. <laughs> so I'm I'm here doing a podcast as an atheist with uh, a Catholic and a Jew, and me saying I blame it on God had a really revealing. Because history scholar went, aw, right? Don't blame it on God. God's a nice guy. And the Jew was like, ha, 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 yep. Pew, pew, pew. That's God doing his thing. <laughs> Drip so, baby. That- Paw for the God course. Yeah. So a couple His of- track record is pretty violent, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of questions before we begin. Uh, one. What do you know about U.S. Marshals? 
U.S. Marshals. Um, um, they try to catch Wesley Snipes in, in movies. The funny thing is, in the movie, they didn't catch him, but for tax evasion in real life, they definitely <laughs> did. <laughs> oh, they got him. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I was Blade. I don't have to pay my taxes. I play vampires. So, so Max, <laughs> can I? I, yeah. I want a serious interjection. That was fantastic. Uh, no, so I know weren't U.S. Marshals, and I might be fucking this up. Originally, a product of the um, Fugitive Slave Act, right? Like they weren't the product of it, but they were the principal enforcers of ah, it okay, because okay. they are the original federal law enforcement. Yeah, agents. like interstate law enforcement yes, that yeah. can cross lines. And so, everything. so that was something that they did. Until the until the uh, passage of, until the repeal of the Fugitive Slave Act, the yeah. Fugitive Slave Act is actually repealed during the Civil War. Yeah, because if I remember, the marshal, the U.S. Marshals were able to cross like state lines, mm-hmm. territory lines, yeah. ethical lines, color lines, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> moral lines to a deep degree. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so uh, now, how do we feel about Western movies, like you know, like uh, like the cowboy? Western movies. I mean, The Conqueror was a pretty good movie. Yeah. The Conqueror? <laughs> That's the... Is that, is that mean, the, the it's Gang when, of the Expansion? It's when John Wayne plays uh, Attila... Or uh, oh. uh, uh, Genghis Khan. Yeah. It's the best. The ye- yellow face or whatever. <laughs> yeah, oh. Yeah. They, everyone in the movie is white, and they're all wearing tape on their face, which is yeah. fucking crazy. It's bananas. <laughs> 1950s. And he's just there like, I am Timogen. <laughs> <laughs> Later of all the tribes of, the, of East Asia, and I I'm here to conquer you. And he's just like fucking, there's like, and who's the really famous brunette, like hottie back then? Um, uh, it's an actress. Raquel Welch? No, no. That's way later. That's like 70s. This was like 50s. Rita Hayward? That might have been it. Yeah. I think she had, if it was Rita Hayward, she had like, she was like the hot brunette or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like in one of those like litters being mm-hmm. carried by like big, buff people actually there were some people of color in the movie <laughs> so bad you guys it's so bad so she's in there and he just john wayne rolls up in like mongolian gear so like the hat and the bow and arrow yeah, and the whole yeah. shit and he sounds the exact same <laughs> as every other movie <laughs> like, I see you there, woman. I'm here. <laughs> Probably drunk because he was drunk all the time. He does like, I conquer all of Asia. Like it's the best. It's the fucking best. They're so goddamn dumb back then. Uh, so Adam Lags, how do you feel about westerns? Uh, they're cool. Okay. Uh, right. They didn't turn out well for the Indians. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry. I might beep that the Indians, the Native Americans, yeah, Indigenous Americans. The Indigenous maybe, Americans. I mean, no, I mean, uh, there are there are. I do didn't know work that, out too well for you know that name of that baseball team. <laughs> 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 didn't work out that well for the former name of the Washington football team, the Guardians. Yeah, so the Lions. <laughs> I said the Guardians. The, Guardians, the Cardinals. <laughs> The Mighty Ducks? <laughs> the Mighty Ducks? Yeah. So, <laughs> Indians fly together. Fly <laughs> <laughs> <Funny> me. <laughs> uh, oh, jeez. God damn it. Oh, we boy. admit our mistakes here. <laughs> I'm laughing historically. I hit the fucking mic stand. I'm a regular. If we're going to announce it. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, expansion of the Western frontier was the great American national project from the passage of the Homestead Act in 1862 until the census of 1890 when the Census Bureau officially declared the frontier closed. During that time, without the sectional conflict around slavery to distract from the future status of federal territory and the interest of European powers focused on Africa and East Asia, millions of Americans poured west. In the process, by virtually every action, intentional or unintentional, well-meaning or cruel, they brought the Native American population to the point of extinction. However, during this time, most mostly of, intentional. I, I, we'll we'll get to that. There's a lot of intentionality. <laughs> there is a lot of intentionality, but even the unintentional or the non-intentioned. I, I think you can. So I, I actually had a tough conversation with somebody about this a mm-hmm. few years ago, um, 
and like the because it it was uh, started as a Facebook argument and then ended up with in like an actually kind of nice conversation in person. But like the the problem is you're a hundred, you know. This is something I, I had a minor in this in college, so I'm a little bit more familiar. But like the intentionality mm-hmm. is 100% true. Like mm-hmm. the bison were killed mm-hmm. specifically to starve Native Americans. Yeah. Blankets were given specifically to infect them with diseases. Like there is no denying mm-hmm. that from South America schools. all the way to Canada, mm-hmm. war crimes were committed on a consistent basis. Genocide was committed. So I don't want to be like, mm-hmm. there. there is no like, like, whether or not that happened. That being said, I'm waiting for the butt. I'm gonna moon it. <laughs> I'm gonna put my butthole right on his eye, and we'll say, "You looked at butt." Looked at no. Uh, but a lot of the death, like when you say, like uh, you know, because you look at the native populations of South Central and North America before colonialization, and then after. You know, you're looking at 80, 90% death rates. Nothing like it has mm-hmm. ever happened in the history of the world. And to say that that entire, like all of those people died were intentional, that's not true either, right? Well, like no, a lot I of mean, that was a lot of people just died because Europeans didn't understand yeah, disease. They brought no in one understood. That, yeah, well, right. and and but and one of the things though is that with with the intentionality also is that there were there were white Americans who thought they were doing right by the Native Americans right, right. and genuinely believed it and would have been like, no, no, I am trying to help. And mm. it was not helping, and you know, they hadn't they hadn't interrogated that that properly. I remember I, I heard a podcast about one of the it was one of the first uh, American football teams mm-hmm. that was from I want to say the Carlisle School mm-hmm. if I oh, remember in Pennsylvania. correctly. Yeah, yeah, and it was a it was a Native mm-hmm. American school, Indigenous school, and you know yeah. the whole process of sending these kids mm-hmm. to this school was like evil. Yeah, right? there's an a, a undeniable level of evil. But the weird thing about history is at the end of it, mm-hmm. they loved their coach slash principal, right? Because he would like he did that. They they thought he was like the coolest, nicest white guy who's ever existed because he did really have what he thought their best interests were at heart. Like he was a good person in a bad system doing bad things. It's yeah, it's no, complicated. It's, it like is. Um, so during this time, most settlers lived, in the words of Henry David Thoreau, lives of quiet desperation. They lived in sparsely populated regions, eking out a meager existence as farmers, ranchers, or miners. Crime rates were, by virtue of a small population, isolation from one another, coupled with what was realistically, most likely, a higher police-to-civilian ratio, uh, crime was relatively low. The federal territory that is now the state of Oklahoma was an exception to this. Indian territory, as it was called, was a nearly lawless abandon. Mm-hmm. Made so on the one hand by the fact that the tribes that were exiled there by way of the Trail of Tears could not police the territory effectively, and on the other hand, the U.S. government's own policies prevented its effective administration. Into this vacuum came the U.S. Marshals. Today we will discuss the first black U.S. Deputy Marshal, Bass Reeves. Woo! I love Bass Reeves! Yeah! I'm very excited. This guy is so fucking badass. All right, mm-hmm. I'll shut up. Uh, Have you ever heard of Bass Reeves? No. Okay. So this is a story that is... Was that so loud that it broke your guys' ears? Yeah. Good, because Bass Reeves deserves it. (laughs) (laughs) This is a story that is worthy of a spaghetti western, and is indeed being made into a miniseries on Paramount+. Plus. His story sits at the intersection of western expansion, the treatment of Native Americans, reconstruction, and law enforcement. So let us discuss Bass Reeves. Part 1. A Series of New Beginnings. So Bass Reeves was born into slavery in 1838, probably in July... Historians are not sure when he was born. Like, we don't have an exact birthday. Yeah, that's super, super common for, yeah. like, well... Like, I think, it wasn't it Ida B. Wells had the mm-hmm. same problem? They're not 100% sure yeah. when Ida B. Wells was born? Yeah. Uh, they're also not certain as to where he was born. Some accounts list Crawford County, Arkansas, and others list Paris, te- Texas. I Paris, believe- Texas. Yeah, Both love- just bastions <laughs> of humanity, humanity at the time. Nothing... Yeah. I love Paris, Texas, yeah. too. Like, <laughs> yeah. Or like Rome, New York. Listen, like, everybody. <laughs> it's about time we class this town up a bit. It's now, nice we don't it. have any money for things like art and music <laughs> and culture, <laughs> but we can change our name. <laughs> it costs nothing. I hear there's some town over there in uh, France that's got real nice. 
We'll call it that. Trick some folk. <laughs> couple, and then like two months later, there's a bunch of dumb, like, fucking, like dumb Norwegians like, hello, we are looking for a penis. <laughs> we heard it's the city of lights. They're like, our only lights are the stars. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we've got a bunch of burning crosses up on that hill. Uh, Those are for you, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Fucking, fucking, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a coincidence. Um, so... Uh, I I personally believe that he was born in Arkansas for two reasons. Uh, the first is that he, as a child, he moved to Texas. So if he'd been born in Texas, it wouldn't be stated that he'd moved to Texas. Okay. Uh, and secondly, uh, he would eventually settle down in Arkansas, which seems to suggest that like he had some attachment to the Roots. place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bass's parents were J.M. Stewart and Paralee Washington Stewart. He was named for his maternal grandfather, and his last name comes from his enslaver, William Steele Reeves, a South Carolinian who moved to Tennessee and then Arkansas. William Steele. Is that in quotes? Like it's nope. his name? Oh, okay. Steele uh, with an E at the end. Oh, okay. Probably his mother's maiden name. Sort okay. Of thing. okay. I was like, I thought it was like a nickname no. he got. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's going to be bad. All right. So in 1846, when Bass was eight, his family, seemingly whole, was relocated to Grayson County, Texas, to serve Colonel George Robertson Reeves, the son of William. Bass was made the personal butler to Colonel Reeves. He was also made to be a water boy, gate operator, dishwasher, food prepper, floor cleaner, furniture polisher, and gardener. Mm -hmm. In his teens, he was made to help with the blacksmith and the stables. Like the vast majority of enslaved people, Bass was never taught to read or write, but he was a fast learner, keenly observant, and through his mother, deeply religious. Not much more than I have relayed is known about his early life, but it is reasonable to suspect that he was treated about the same, that is to say with great cruelty, as many other enslaved people. Either way, by the time he's in his early 20s, Bass Reeves stood 6 feet 2 inches tall and weighed around 200 pounds. He was ambidextrous and had a gift for blending in with his surroundings. In April 1861, Pierre-Gustave Toutant Beauregard ordered his guns to open fire on Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor, and the Civil War began. <laughs> Say that southern name again. Pierre-Gustave Toutant Beauregard. God, I hate it so much. Just it burns <laughs> in my heart, like as a colonial's bullshit. Mousson Toussaint. And you know that that fucking inbred twat was like, I have a long lineage of that of the <laughs> Europeans, a lineage that I have to be proud of. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. Like, like, does that just... You know, he's normally he's normally called PGT Beauregard, but yeah, I like I like giving the I full. He was known by his acronym. I love I love giving him the the, the the full treatment is great. I'm from the August French family of the Micron Pinayo. Uh, it's a very long line of people uh, with my. It's a micro penis joke. Guys. I'm sorry, could have so, done better. So at the beginning of the Civil War, uh, Bass is 24. Uh, and his uh, and Colonel Reeves went into the 11th Texas Cavalry and brought Bass with him. As with his birth and upbringing, Bass's Civil War experience is hazy. Some accounts state that Colonel Reeves, and thus Bass, were at Pea Ridge in Arkansas in March 1862, which is very believable, and then at Chickamauga in, in North Georgia in August of 1863, which is somewhat believable, and then again at Chattanooga in November 1863, which I find not very believable. Now, the reason for my incredulity is that whatever his enslaver's record of service, Bass Reeves escaped to freedom, and it is likely that he did so either in 1862 or 1863. It is also true that he fled to the Indian Territory. Mm. The Battle of Pea Ridge occurred near the Arkansas-Missouri-Oklahoma border, which would have allowed a quick escape to Indian Territory. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, the Confederate Army at Pea Ridge included Native American troops from the five nations of the Indian Territory. There were, there were Cherokees and Choctaws and Creeks that On fought. The Confederate yeah, yes. that's one of those weird quirks of history where they, yeah. they fought for the Confederates, right? Yeah, well, and the reason they did was... Because they were all, slave owners. Well, there's that, but also, like, from a real politic point of view, all of their treaties are with the United States, mm -hmm. right? They are playing one group off of the other yeah right and the hope that the <laughs> european it, settlers were doing exactly it, each other. but the hope of the in the hope that if the confederacy won the war they might gain like actual independence yeah, yeah. Um, well it's like i mean and from their perspective you'd be like well 
one of these governments has broken a lot of treaties against us, yeah. and the other one has broken zero treaties yeah, against yeah. us. So it's like, which one are you going to go with? Yeah. yeah, I know that. I mean, that happened in World War II a whole bunch with mm-hmm. the Germans, especially mm-hmm. Finland mm-hmm. was in such a weird position. It's like, well, the Soviets did try to massacre us, mm-hmm. but now we're on the side of Nazis. So it's you know, yeah. It's, or you can weird. you can imagine the same thing with like Indian nationalists during during World War II. Mm-hmm. Right? Do they fight alongside the British, right, or do they fight alongside Japan? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so it is possible that during this campaign, he might have actually met some Native Americans and then after the battle made his way to freedom. Right. That is the most likely one. Chickamauga occurs in August in North Georgia. And so theoretically, like after that battle, maybe he fled across the entire state of Tennessee and then Arkansas into the Indian Territory. Mm-hmm. But he's definitely free by, like, January 1st, 1864. So November 1863 seems way too late. There's also the fact that at both Chickamauga and Chattanooga, at that point, the Emancipation Proclamation is in effect. Mm. He's right next to a Union army. Mm. If he had escaped, why go all the way to the Indian Territory when he can just go to the Union yeah, Army. Yeah, deliver himself to the Whereas Union in, in 1862, after Pea Ridge, going to the Union Army might have made him classified as a contraband mm-hmm. or it might have had him be sent back right mm-hmm. it depends on the on the commander yeah. in the field well and the other thing too is like if he's deep in confederate mm-hmm. territory the way he would be if it was the third place you said it was well chickamauga and chattanooga are relatively close to each other oh okay. chickamauga is in north it, well chickamauga is in north georgia right across the border from tennessee. And, and yeah from tennessee okay. and then chattanooga is in southeastern tennessee near the georgia border cuz it's like if you realistically mm-hmm. if you're trying to get from say chattanooga mm-hmm. to oklahoma yeah right you're going through like like everywhere you're going through on the way there is confederate territory or or liberated by the union like oh, at okay. that point by like november 1863 after the battle of chattanooga the union has essentially liberated the entire length of tennessee right. Right, like the entire, and that's the other part of the reason why it doesn't make any sense. Why he, why would you go all the way to Indian territory mm-hmm. when, at this point, he would have known, like, especially being in the army, he would have uh, with the army, not in the army. That's a, the preposition here is important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the uh, Confederate army, he would have almost certainly heard of the Emancipation Proclamation right, because right. it infuriated Confederates. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not like he would have been immune to not, you know, to knowing what that was. <laughs> I just love the idea. There's some dumb fucking redneck with like, mm-hmm. like just barely had the intelligence to learn how to read, reading the Emancipation Proclamation, and then like looking over at him, be like, "Can you believe this shit?" <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Crazy. Uh, yeah <laughs> crazy that we would think hey you guys need me to go fetch some water i'll be right back <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you're right that emancipation proclamation bullshit hey guys i'll see you. i gotta take a shit i'll be right back i, I gotta go get some cigarettes I heard, <laughs> I heard there's some yankees on the other side of the hill do you want me to like go throw something at him yeah, you know what i'm gonna go tell them exactly yeah, how big a bullshit this is my mind all right uh, I will see you guys in exactly 15 minutes. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing, too, is if you're traveling, like, given Mm -hmm. that maybe it is Confederate territory or whatever, but, Mm -hmm. like, the freedom... Say what you want about your like you know uh, uh, like libertarian free soil people or whatever. You're like uh, you know what's the the crazy thing? Free man on the land bullshit. Oh, sovereign citizen. Sovereign Sovereign citizen. citizen. But there is one thing that they are right about when it comes to like quote freedom, Mm -hmm. right? And it's freedom of movement is Mm -hmm. huge. Like just the ability to move over borders, move across spaces. How the fuck would a six foot two black man make his way across the south during the civil war like apparently he was good at blending in that's true that, he, I mean, hey fuck man maybe he, that's he where could he have just it. like had camo maybe that's yeah maybe that's where he got his rogue levels you know what i mean it was just sneaking across the whole south with, yeah you know, like, you know, one of those, like like a like a like a straw like a like a big hay mm-hmm. thing you know and every time a white guy turns he's like yeah he just looks like is it is it just looks like gear. a pile of pet hay. Is it the Metal Gear Solid like cardboard box? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like in a bush, and you just see his feet pop up. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. What was that? You hear that? I don't hear nothing but your sister coming. Fuck you! And then they start fighting. Just walks a little So how and why he escaped is also some contention. So he does escape. But the why? why seems so no 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 the why the why being the precipitant. 
action. Okay. Not not the like. Oh, how he was able to. Yeah, like how he was able to, and, and what was that? What caused him to be like, "This is my oh, this, this is my is moment." The moment. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so there are two stories, but only one of them makes any sense. Uh, it is the less glamorous of the two stories. It's always the truth. Uh, but in this story, in the in the more likely one, uh, Bass and Colonel Reeves were playing cards, and Bass won. Colonel Reeves grew angry and attacked Bass. In the process of defending himself, he knocked his enslaver down in one punch. That's cool. Knowing that the punishment would be brutal, he took a bag of supplies and a horse and raced for Indian territory. Mm-hmm. Seems believable. Yeah. The other story is that he killed Colonel Reeves, uh, but we have records of Colonel Reeves dying 20 years later of rabies from a dog bite. So he didn't kill Colonel Reeves because Colonel Reeves died really stupidly. That, that is a really interesting <laughs> yeah, would yeah, you rather. Yeah. <laughs> like, would you rather have him be the one to do it? Because that's pretty rad. Mm-hmm. Or would you rather have Bass Reeves read it 22 years later in the newspaper? Like, ha! Dumb cracker! Yeah. <laughs> I bit my dog! Fuck him! You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, that's a, what, what would you rather, Adam? Um... Probably go out guns blazing. Oh, you'd, you'd kill him. Right, what about you? Um, I think I like I like the idea that the, the, the dog bit him and he died of rabies twenty yeah, years later. But like he's an enslaver, so I like the most painful option. Oh, that's, that's rabies. That's rabies every time. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty like, sure. I, yeah. Yeah. So I guess I like like I I want the the that he killed him mm-hmm. mostly because I hope he experienced just that visceral pleasure of seeing a blade just. Dive in. Sorry, my bad. I got a little distracted. So, so why the Indian Territory? Simply put, it was the only place an escaped slave, aside from Canada, could go and be sure that they wouldn't be sent back into bondage. The Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 did not run into the into the Indian Territory, mm-hmm. uh, and so he spent a few years among uh, among the Muscogee, uh, whose language he learned. Uh, he also learned a smattering of Choctaw, Chickasaw, Cherokee, and Creek. Nice. Mm. Uh, while with the Native Americans, he developed a marksman's aim and a tracker's skills. Someone described Bass Reeves aiming from the hip as, quote, drawing a bead as fine as a spider's web on a frosty morning, end quote. So two anecdotes about his marksmanship. First, he became such a good shot that he was barred from taking part in turkey shooting competitions because everyone knew he'd win. So they're like, nah, you can't, you can't play. <laughs> um, I'm here for the honker shooting. Co- I mean, turkey shooting contest. Uh, <laughs> did you just say? Uh, nope, nope. Didn't say that. You know what? Second, we don't feel comfortable, safe with you at this shooting contest. Well, this is what the Native Americans. Oh, never mind. No. Um, That's true. Second, he saved a steer from six wolves, killing all six of them by himself with only eight bullets. Wow. He always contended the last two bullets were celebratory. (laughs) 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 Fuck you, wolves! He always he always described his his shooting. uh, He was simply quote a fair shooter end quote. So with I love a good I love a humble hero. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where there's the guy, I'm all right. You know what I mean? You're like you're Steve Vai, one of the greatest guitar players. Mm -hmm. Nah, I'm all right. So with the abolition of slavery in 1865, it was time for Bass to leave the Indian Territory. He would say of his time there, quote, The Indians, they was mighty good to me. I was proud to gain their trust, end quote. Wait, why did he have to leave? He didn't have to leave, but he could leave. Like, he wanted to go home. Yeah, so he goes, uh, he settles in Van Buren, Arkansas. uh, Bought some land and built a house, and he married a Creek woman. Nellie Jenny, with whom he had 11 children. Whoa. <laughs> I didn't know he had 11 children. I'm lo- Bass Reeves fucking rules. <laughs> Jesus. He, he actually, be- uh, he actually, uh, lesser known fact, coined the term BBC. So you can, uh, <laughs> you can what? He you became guys- a successful farmer. Michael shook his head like he doesn't know what that means. You know what that <laughs> fucking means. He became a successful farmer, rancher, and occasional tracker for the local U.S. Marshals. It was this last role that led him to be the subject of this episode. Nice. So part two, let no guilty man escape. The Western frontier was a semi-lawless place. As the Charles River editors put it, quote, Western societies were essentially living apart from traditional American rule of law. What judicial structures were at work across the West were erratic, often willing to exercise extremes without evidentiary justification, and manipulated by major corporate interests of the day, most notably cattle, end quote. Into this landscape was appointed... Mining jo- and, and trains and Oh, shit that's too. true, yeah. yeah, yeah but, yeah, like, yeah. the thing is, is that mining, you had to have minerals nearby. Mm-hmm. And the railway, the railroads were within 
like a, a, a certain distance of the track, mm-hmm. whereas cattle are everything from Texas to the Canadian border, <laughs> right? Uh, and from the Mississippi to the Rockies. From yeah. the Mississippi to the Rockies, from the Rio Grande to the Canadian border is cattle country. Mm. So that's why they're, that's why they're, perp- that's why in this case they're calling out cattle. And, they, and I'm, I'm assuming big it's cattle. such a staple of the diet at the time that it's like super yeah. big business. And oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and also like cattle rustling was a crime that you could Hang conceivably for. get away with. Right, oh, like, I see, I see, like yeah. if you stole someone's cows and yeah. were quick enough about it, you could actually, like, no. Uh, that's why you have brands, but it's different than like stealing gold, for instance. Because if some dude comes into town and is like, "I got fifteen pounds of gold," everyone's like, "Where did you get it?" Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. if someone comes in and like, "I got fifty cows to sell to send to Chicago to be turned into hamburger," everyone's like, "Well, yeah, we get fifty cows every single day." Like, yeah. it's a it's it is unusual. It is an item that could be. Sold and because it's consumable, it's now Mm -hmm. gone. Exactly. So it's like tracing it back. Yeah. 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 So into this landscape was appointed Judge Isaac Charles Parker, the Hanging Judge, as he became known, was born in October 1838, and so was roughly the same age as Bass Reeves. He moved to Missouri during the Civil War, where he served in a Loyalist Union militia regiment as one of the War Democrats. However, I'm sorry, a, a Loyalist. Because Missouri was half and half. Yeah, right? like so he of... served in a, in a loyalist that is a Union oh, okay, okay. militia regiment as a war Democrat. He's mm-hmm. a Demo- member of the Democratic Party when he moves there. But by 1864, he had broken with the Democratic Party over the issue of slavery and was an elector for Abraham Lincoln nice. in 1864 from Missouri. So, hmm. uh, he served in the House of Representatives as a radical Republican, nice. where he secured <laughs> veterans' pensions and sponsored a failed women's suffrage bill. He also attempted, in the manner of white liberals of the 19th century, to treat Native Americans fairly by the creation of the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Mm. Again, mixed record in terms of the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Right. But he is, in his mind, he is not saying, like, we must extirpate these people from the face of the planet. Yeah, yeah. He's like, we should treat them the way we treat everyone else in our society. But that doesn't work because they were here first. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Until there's an incentive to get rid of them. Like, well, especially it, you live in an imperialist capitalist society. So that's not like, we should treat them good. Like, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we that, should that, treat them like every other plebeian piece of shit worker that we need to just... <laughs> Just ring every well, fucking. The problem is all the incentives were to get rid of them. Like yeah. that's not like so, it's not like just because they were bad guys. Like yeah. you know who just well, wanted to get what? rid of the Indians. It's like well, they had vested interest to like have their land and what was underneath their land. No, like, and that and, and that, that both both of you are are correct. But mm. I think there's also and and part of it is is where are you? It's almost a geographic aspect of this. Because if you were a person, because you're talking about, uh, Lax, you're talking about vested interests. So there's always going to be, throughout the 19th century, there's always going to be white Americans who are going to complain about the treatment of Native Americans, the eviction Mm -hmm. of Native Americans, Mm -hmm. the breaking of treaties. However, these are people who are not living at the frontier. Right. And they're not people who are invested in those vested interests because they're out east, right? And they go, our vested interest is in doing something else, right? And so they essentially are of the opinion, like, uh, and and there's a there's a really interesting. Uh, so you're saying like detached liberals is that a like, little bit? Yeah. Yeah, 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 a little bit. But the thing is, is that but you where you are correct is that the vested interests of like the federal government and in particular of any business or corporation that is moving west, like a railroad, for instance, is to remove them. Or if mm-hmm. they, you know, we find gold or silver, right, to gain mining rights and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then, uh, and then, Kunin, to your point about you live in an imperialist capitalist society, I mean, he's one of these radical Republicans looking at an ideal of how should a citizen be treated mm-hmm. within a society, mm-hmm. right? He wants the citizens of the society to be treated well, and he assumes that if Native Americans are treated the same as the ideal of how we treat our white and black mm-hmm. citizens, they'll be good too. Again, yeah, yeah. the problem being that white and black citizens had asked to be a part Well. Maybe not black citizens right. as much, but <laughs> partially you know, asked. Partway through. Partway they, 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 being they, asked being a part of the society. Mm. Native Americans rarely asked to be a part of American society. Yeah, yeah. Right? A, like, I remember in um, A People's History of mm-hmm. the United States, they, it, it was, I think it was, I want to say it was a quote, a uh, 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 Benjamin Franklin quote, mm-hmm. where he's like, we have numerous numerous examples of white like you know your white colonial european americans going off 
joining native tribes and never coming back being like yeah. fuck yourselves yeah, yeah, yeah. they had he's like we have as of yet not a single example <laughs> yeah, of a yeah, native person right, being like yeah, i'm yeah. chilling here yeah, now yeah yeah dude he's like yeah. oh this indentured servitude seems lit like <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? like, like, so you can just hit me whenever you want yeah. <laughs> i'm free but you can hit me all right, all right. sign me up yeah. so on on march 19th 1875 parker was appointed to the federal western district court mm. Uh, the district covered over 75,000 square miles, including western Arkansas and the Indian Territory. His duty was to bring the crime rate down. He was supposed to have said to a jury, quote, do equal and exact justice. Permit no innocent man to be punished, but let no guilty man escape. End quote. His record as a judge is mixed. In his first session, he sentenced eight of 15 men to death by hanging. A special gallows had to be built so that six of them could be hanged at once. What'd they do? What was uh, all of these are capital crimes, like it's murder, rape, oh, okay. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the United States, like for no wrestling, uh, no, no, cattle. Like, or no, it's uh, the the U.S. Like he's murder, a, rape, spitting on a rich person. You know what I mean? Like just the capital crimes of the time. Uh, and in fact, at one point, uh, he once ordered a man charged with two murders to be hanged twice. Uh, once until almost dead, and then the second time they hanged him and killed him. Yeah. That is unconstitutional. It might be unusual. Yeah. Uh, in 1889, Congress allowed capital crimes to be appealed to the Supreme Court. 44 of Parker's death sentences were appealed, and 30 were overturned, and a retrial was <laughs> oh. ordered. I could not find a record of the results of the retrials, mm-hmm. so... That's just putting that out there. Either way, it's hilarious. Yeah. So because Parker- like, like, let's say he convicted them correctly each time, mm-hmm. and then they just have to like Do hang him again. Like and him just says, "I fuck, I told you so." <laughs> like, and then the other way is hilarious, where it's the Supreme Court being like, "Do you?" Do you get sexually excited when they are you angry? <laughs> like, is it? Mm, are you? It's like no, and he's got his hands over his crotch. Like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. So. Parker, knowing that his work was cut out for him, or immediately ordered the local U.S. Marshal to recruit 200 deputies. Bass Reeves was one of these 200 and was sworn in on May 10, 1875. Nice. He was 37 years old, tall, broad-shouldered, with bushy eyebrows, calm eyes, and a magnificent handlebar mustache. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I feel like I've been called out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, his was magnificent. Norris yeah. <laughs> is just there, threatening, <laughs> <laughs> dangerous. Uh, uh, his, yeah, yeah. His, his was a. I get of compliments ma- on this mustache, by the way. <laughs> All right, I, the, well, in the mirror to yourself, don't count. Yeah, I was gonna say, can you give us the URL of URL of those websites where you get those compliments? It's like lovemesomebears.com. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Copstash. Nudecopstash.com. Is that is that a site? Quick. It might listener, be. Google it. So Reeves uh, and his fellow deputies were, in the great tradition of government penny pinching, contract employees. Their pay was based on two sources, a per diem and warrant served. Each warrant had 30 days to be served so as to avoid abuse of the per diem. Right, so they got you got a you got a daily stipend, and then you were paid for bringing people in or like mm-hmm. delivering the warrants, but you had only thirty days to bring it to serve the warrants, so that you couldn't just be like uh, just keep collecting your per diem. Mm-hmm. But they had no technical. Is that how the Fugitive Slave Act worked? Wasn't there yeah. an incentive as well? Well, so they... there's always been an incentive. The the incentive there was for judges to find to rule that people were slaves because they were paid ten dollars if they ruled that they were a slave and only five dollars if they ruled they were a free really? person. Yeah, yeah, yeah we it talked was, about that past episodes. Yeah. Absolute written into the law. That's insane. It's uh, hard. It's hard to like like people mm-hmm. knowing history that well. Like, whereas everybody was just like, yeah, "All right, sounds reasonable," and you're like, "You obvious, really?" Yeah. Like, I don't know. I- embedding, yeah. fucked up incentives into law. That's great. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. What would modern people possibly know about that? Yeah. <laughs> Damn thing. <laughs> Nothing. So each deputy was required to have at least one posse man with him at all times. A posse man. Yeah, to bring someone with. Uh, yeah, it's like when no, you go. I, I, to, I, I, it's <laughs> when you go out to the club and you want your boy there with you to like hype right. you up, make I, you. But look I've good. never heard it as posse men. I just yeah. hear it as a posse. It's like yeah. well, so your, that, your buddies are like, get that posse. <laughs> 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 is that how it? Wait, are we talking about something else? Yeah, right here. You're my posse He's man. He's a posse right? man. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll help you get that posse. <laughs> 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 get so much posse, we'll be swimming in posse, buddy. All right. 
on longer trips, which were the norm in the Western District, where more than one warrant was being acted upon, right? So they would be like, well, here are the five warrants we need to go serve. If we did, if we went each and back, it would take like six months. So we're just going to do one big trip. And Mm -hmm. in 30 days, we'll have served all of the warrants. Let me guess, the, the... The alive part or of dead or alive didn't happen a lot when you had to do a five month trip. Actually, oh, really? so where there oh, was where there actually, was, actually there's something happening. So on longer trips, uh, the posse would bring along a truck wagon and what was called a tumbleweed wagon, which was a wagon specifically designed to house prisoners to bring uh-huh. them back. Oh, is that one of those? It was like a cage yeah, on yeah. a wagon, mm-hmm. like in Django. All right, yeah. cool, cool, cool. So being a deputy U.S. marshal for the Western District was a dangerous job. Between 1872 and 1896, more than 100 deputy marshals were killed in the line of duty, more than any other district by a very wide margin. So Bass Reeves taught himself the relevant laws that pertain to his new job. For instance, he could only arrest Native Americans if they committed crimes (laughs) against U.S. citizens. Couldn't be a white man. Definitely cannot have a black man. Arresting white people at that time. (laughs) No, he could arrest white people. It happened, but like you, Irish. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> like, it had to be off white. I see that there's some Polish people in this territory. Let's send Bass off. Bass, how do you feel about Polish people? Like them about the same as the rest of white people. Fantastic. Off you go. Um, so his jurisdiction, uh, unless pursuing, uh, was demarc- uh, demarcated by the Missouri Kansas Texas Railroad. So, mm-hmm. like, that is the point where. The, the, his jurisdiction ended. Now, this was known informally as the deadline. However, his main job was to serve arrest warrants and subpoenas. Now, this might have been difficult for a man who never learned to read or write, but he found a workaround. For reports, he would have another deputy or a member of his posse take down his report verbatim, and then he would sign it with an X until he learned how to sign his name. Mm-hmm. For warrants and subpoenas, he would study the document until he had memorized what was on that page. Didn't really like he never again learned to read, but he mm. could memorize what was on the page and so therefore be able he to like link it up. The words. Exactly, and like line it up with something else elsewhere. Huh. So in his 30 year career, he never once served a wrong warrant or subpoena. Huh. Yes. Wow. That seemed so when you say line it up with something. So like, for instance, he would like he would memorize the way the name looked, yeah. like on the warrant, like, so that like if, if you're memorizing art as yeah. opposed to yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he's he didn't like have any actual understanding. Yeah, he couldn't. He, he wouldn't have been able to like rewrite the the, the subpoena, or the warrant. But he if he recognized it, but if he saw like, for instance, if the warrant was for you, Coonan, mm-hmm. he would have memorized the name, like the way the name Adam Coonan looked. So if he saw your name like on a storefront mm-hmm. or, uh, or or so forth, he would be like. That is that is the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost literacy. It is. It's a kind of like it's it's on the path to it in yeah. in a way. In his thirty year career, he never once served a wrong warrant or subpoena. The deadline that I referenced earlier was aptly named, according to an Oklahoma newspaper. Quote: Eighty miles west of Fort Smith, which is where the uh, the court was based out of, it was based out of Fort Smith. It was known as the deadline, and whenever a deputy marshal crossed it. He took his life in his hands, and he knew it, end quote. It was the custom of outlaws beyond the deadline to leave cards on the trail informing U.S. Marshals they would be killed on sight. Bass Reeves ended his career with a dozen cards that mentioned him by name. Ooh, yeah. Uh, did he shuffle them? Listen, motherfucker, I'm going to... No, no, no. He, he, played, me, he played solitaire with it. <laughs> it makes me, it's like, you don't remember in Valentine's Day when you're in school and you give everybody And you were sad the whole card, time because like... no one liked you and no one gave it. Oh, never mind. Yeah. All right, go on, go on. All right, I'm sorry, I was talking about myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you remember in school but, yeah, on Valentine's yeah. Day when everyone got Valentine's except you and then you went home and listened to Jeremy by <laughs> over and over and over again? Oh, Jeremy spoke and You just fantasize. Size. All right, go on. No, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the exact polar opposite. Of that. <laughs> what, were, what were you really gonna yeah, say? No, that's exactly what I was. Doing. Uh, <laughs> Can you tell we're comics? Yeah. Like, hey, you remember that happy memory from your childhood? Nope. 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 <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just kidding, mom. Uh, I have some. I have some. Uh, and they go to high note. That, that's, <laughs> that's the end of the first Ooh. part of this episode. Yeah, we might have a part two yeah. or a part three. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, if you like us, uh, you like listening to this episode. Feel free to share on social media. We are laughing hist h i s t um, on uh, Instagram and X, I guess. Formerly known as Twitter. And I'm looking at you, Will. You better share it. Will. Yeah, Will, share it, goddammit. Do you you want to be alone the rest of your life? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't even know you. I feel like you're probably happy. It's like a chain letter. If you don't share, (laughs) you will be (laughs) bad luck for the rest of your life. You are right. We are the 1971 chain letter version of podcasts. Fantastic. Nothing but success. We're not even right wing. If we were right wing, we might actually fucking work because that's how that works. What were some lessons learned today? Um, I'm going to look at my... Much like basketball... lessons, uh, Kuda, go. (laughs) Much like basketball, black people are just going to be better at everything than us. That's how it works. (laughs) I mean, I I I have... I I pulled out two lessons uh, that, that, that... for the whole episode, I'm going to give one of them here. Okay. Um, and and we've talked a little, we've touched a little bit on this before, uh, in in other episodes. But one is that there was an opportunity through Reconstruction and the vehicle of the federal government to attempt to expunge the stain of slavery mm. um, by allowing people into well-paying federal jobs, regardless of race. There was an opportunity to create an integrated uh, black middle class. And that was beginning to come into its own when the Plessy versus Ferguson decision is handed down, mm-hmm. right? And Bass Reeves is a is a pretty like is an exemplar mm-hmm. of that. Is he like, still alive then? Uh, uh, yeah, he uh, dies in nineteen ten. Oh yeah, wow, he'll Holy die in nineteen ten. Really? Yeah, yeah, he lives wow. a really long time. Um, Again. Black people are just better than white people. Every, like, think about every Dude, white I, gunfighter I just, you've I ever heard of. I want to see the sequel where he goes after the Ku Klux Klan. Like, I, I, where, where's that? <laughs> I, um, but yeah, so I, w- I would say that 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 is the that is the the first lesson, and we'll 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 talk about the second lesson when we mm. get to the the end of the second part. <laughs> Do you? Know what? My lesson. You want to know my what's, lesson? What's your lesson? What's your lesson? B. B C. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I I, I I like to think about some of the innovative costumes he had to blend in. Mm-hmm. He had the the, the haystack, um, the, 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 the walking haystack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Innovate. That's innovative. He, he was the Steve Jobs of federal marshals. I think is. And the, today we learned that posses all have sound effect guys. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, that's and true. hype men. And mm-hmm. hype man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotta have one of each. A posse. Yeah. Uh, they were drowning in posse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite things from the time period is when a posse would all get together and take a posse pick. It was very- <laughs> a pocket posse. <laughs> That's, only, that's when it's only two. Yeah. Uh, oh man! I shouldn't engage. You're beautiful, Adam. You're like a posse willow. Well, at least Bass Reeves. At least Bass Reeves was able to like gather posses and really command them well. It seems like he had posse control. <laughs> Maybe he was posse whipped. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show! 